Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 10. Nehemiah chapter 10. And in Nehemiah chapter 10 to 12, he lists a ton of names. We kind of tell you what the passage is going to be week by week, that you can sort of read it coming in. And if you read it this week, you probably read through a whole bunch of names that was really hard to pronounce. But Nehemiah lists these names, not because he's trying to fill up a word count on his essay. You ever been in that spot? Just adding stuff. He's not just trying to fill up the word count. He lists these names because these are people who actually stand out for the things that they did in their culture. They stand out, like you would say, like a porch light in a dark city for what they did. And the things they did actually teaches us how we can stand out in our culture. And we all know God wants us to stand out, right? What did Jesus say to you? You are to be a city on a hill. We are to be people who stand out. And so they help us answer the question, how do we stand out in our culture? Here's the first way. We stand out by obeying God's commands. We stand out by obeying God's commands. So in chapter 9, verse 38, they say, because of all of this, we make a firm covenant in writing on sealed documents are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Now, when they say because of all of this, they're referring back to what I talked about a couple weeks ago. They're saying because God is unique, because God is caring, because God is patient, because God is faithful, we are going to renew the covenant with God. We are going to renew our commitment to God, and we're going to obey the things that God tells us to do. And in chapter 10, 1 to 26, he lists all the names of the people who sign this document and commit to obey God. And here's the first way. They commit to obey God in marriage. They commit to obey God in marriage. It says, we will not give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And this is not a racial thing. It's a faith thing. Deuteronomy 7 says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. Not a race thing, a faith thing. And I want you to notice that God expects parents to be involved in the marriage process. Did you catch it? And it's not to make sure that their kids marry somebody from their ethnicity. Isn't Black History Month a real picture of how evil, how bad thinking like that can go? It's not about 
race. It's about faith. They're to be involved, parents, so that if you are a believing parent and you have a believing child, you guide them towards marrying someone who is in the faith. And there's a whole bunch of you with babies in here, so you should be paying attention to what I'm saying. Because it's, a, it's not a small thing. Marrying the wrong person can have an effect on your faith. Someone who's in the faith. Here's a, good, here's a good example. Boaz and Ruth. She's a Moabite. But do you know what she says? Before they get married, she says, your God will be my God. She comes into the faith, and then they get the thing done. And you're hearing me, and you're like, uh, but Marv, what if I married a non-Christian? Or what if I married someone who professed faith, but now they've like given up on it? Those are, real, those are real realities, right? What if I married somebody who they weren't in the faith, or they're like, they were in, and now it's just me all by myself? Well, here's the word for you. Pray for them. Regularly pray for their hearts to come to God. How about this next one? Be patient and humble towards them. See, sometimes we can look at that person who's outside the faith, and we forget that we're in it because of God's grace. And we can become impatient. Why aren't you doing what you're supposed to do? Why aren't you coming over where I am? Rather than being humble. Here's this next one. Live your faith before them. Live you. I want to say this. If, if you're married to somebody who's not in the faith, if you don't take your faith seriously, they're not going to either. If you're not serious about it, they're like, oh, it can't be that serious. And so you live it before them because your conduct, your action can actually, God can work through that to bring them to the faith. Here's this next one. They committed to obey God in the marketplace. Marriage, and then in the marketplace. Verse 31. This is chapter 10, verse 31. My bad, I didn't tell you that at the beginning. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on the holy day. We will forego the crops of the seventh year and, ex and the exaction of every debt. So they say, for one day, we're going to do no business. We are not going to actually work. Here's a group of people that know all work and no rest reveals a lack of faith. If you can't stop, if you never stop, it's because you truly don't believe that God's actually going to provide for you and fill those gaps that you're leaving. And they say, for one whole year, we will not touch the land. They're like, we're not going to farm. We're going to stop. We're not going to do anything. Exodus chapter 23, verse 10 says, For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its fields, but on the seventh year you shall let it rest. They know that the earth belongs to the Lord and that we should actually never abuse it. Did you hear what I said? It belongs to God. We are stewards. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says, the seventh year was, a powerful, was powerful forms of environmental education, impressing up on us that we are not to pursue short-term gain at the cost of long-term desolation. Don't you live in a culture like that? Let's just build, let's just get more, everybody needs more Teslas. But we don't care that we're destroying what God has given us to steward. More and more and more. And there's, there's more and more and more sometimes because we're the ones going out saying, I need more. Environmental 
education. And then they say, at the end of seven years, we will cancel every debt. At the end of seven years, we're going to work. You owe me money, I'm just going to let you go. Again, Deuteronomy 15 says at the end of uh, every seven years, you shall grant release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what is lent to his neighbor. And here's what you got to understand about debt in this culture. Debt in this culture was rarely because of mismanagement. See, some of us are in debt because we're, we're just not stewarding God's resources very well. And sometimes it's because we're like, I need more. Swipe. You don't. It's rarely due to mismanagement. People were in debt sometimes because of death. Somebody dies in the family. And so then the family business collapsed. Sometimes there's famine. There's illness. And so when they say, we are going to let these people go, it's an act of mercy. It's an act of kindness because they're like, we're not in debt because we've mismanaged things. We had to take a loan because that's the only way we could truly get by because of what is going on. Here's the people who know when they release these people, they know that people matter more than possessions. Now, from a business perspective, doesn't this all look insane? Not going to work. Not going to touch the land. Not going not to get more. I'm not going to raise the interest on these people. I'm just going to let them go. Doesn't that look insane? Wouldn't our culture be like, hmm, what? But that's why they stand out. This is a commitment. When they make this commitment, you know what? It's, it's saying, I have faith in God. He's going to look after me. When they make the commitment, they're like, I'm, I'm going I'm to choose humility. I'm not God. And so I'm going I'm to do what he says, when they, when they make the commitment, they're like, I want to be kind. I want to be merciful. God has shown me mercy, so I'm going to show that to other people. Here's this next one. They committed to obey God in funding ministry. Verse 32 says, we take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of God, for the showbread, the regular offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbath, the new moons, the appointed feast, the holy things, and the sin offering to make atonement for Israel and for all the, the, for all the work of the house of God. We, the priests, the Levites, the people, have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God, according to our fathers' houses, at, t- at times appointed year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. This light here is driving me crazy. <laughs> we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of the ground and the first fruits of, of, all, of, of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests, the ministers, and the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, and to bring, to the, and to bring the first of our dough and our, con- our contributions to the the fruit of every tree, the wine, the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, to bring to the Levites the tithe from our ground. For it's the Levites who collect the tithe in all our towns where we labor. And the priests, the sons of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithe. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithe to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouses. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers 
where the vessels of the sanctuary are. And we as the priests, and we as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers, watch this, we will not neglect the house of our God. We will not neglect the house of our God. And they do that, they don't neglect it by giving. And from their giving, here's what we learn. Giving is an act of ongoing obedience. Verse 32, they say, we take on the obligation to give yearly, not one time. Giving provides money for ministry supplies. In verse 32 and 33, it says, they gave a third of a shekel for the showbread, the grain, and the holy things. Because they gave, there was supplies to work with. Giving supports gospel ministers. Verse 37 says, the people brought the Levites the tithe, and actually from this, some of their needs were taken care of. They lived off of this. Next one, giving means giving God our best, not just what's left. They say we will bring, in verse 35, the first fruits of the ground, the first fruits of every tree, not what's left over, but our best. Here's this next one. Giving isn't always about money. You're like, huh? Wait a minute here. There's a pastor up there telling me that, you know, and he makes his living from this thing? That giving isn't always about money? Yes. That's true. It's in the text. Verse 34. The people have cast lots for the wood offering. They casted lots to figure out who was going to get it. And do you know what it took to get it, to gather it? Time. Sometimes in your life, you don't have any money to give. There isn't any extra. Sometimes that is a reality, but we all have time. We all have time. And trust me when I say this, if all you can give to this flock, to this family, if all you can give as a member of our church is your time, that is a beautiful gift. And give that. Because it matters just as much as the money that comes out and comes in. Again, I've said it before. We trust God. This is his thing. Kim says this to me all the time. If God wants it to work, if God wants our church to go, it's going to go. And if he doesn't want it to go, it's going to stop, and there's nothing you can do about it. It's, this is God's work. And so we're, never, we're not going to lean on you. But we all can give and minister to one another with our presence and with our gifts. And if that's all you have, then give it because it's beautiful, and God wants it in our church needs it. Here's this next one. Giving is expected from everyone. Verse 38 says, the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithe. When I read that, I was like, what? The tithe of the tithe? Well, another way you can translate this is a tenth of the tenth. So the Levites received it, and they were actually supposed to give out of what they received. 
And so get right there in scripture, the Bible is telling you the leaders, the spiritual leaders of the church are not exempt from participating in giving to the work of the Lord and funding what is going on in God's church. We're all called to participate. Here's this next one. Giving means there has to be accountability. Giving means there has to be accountability. Again, you're like, Marv, where are you getting this stuff? In the text. Not making it up, verse 38, Kim's rolling her eyes. <laughs> For the sons of Aaron shall be with the Levites when they receive the tithe. Did you catch? They're not supposed to collect the money by themselves. Somebody has to be there to actually make sure that God, the funds that are given are not mishandled. That's why there's somebody there. It, they're also there to protect them from false accusations. That's accountability has to be there. Why? Because we are, we are flawed people. And sometimes it's, it's, you have all this, this pile in front of you. That, that's a real temptation to do something ungodly. And so God creates and calls the church to have these mechanisms of accountability so that the money that is given is stewarded well. Taking care of God's house requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. But when we, when we give, we are saying, we, are, we refuse to neglect the work that God is doing in our church, in our world, and in our community. In chapter 11, Nehemiah gives the names of the people who live in and around Jerusalem. And they tell us and teach us that we stand out in our culture by surrendering to God's will. We stand out in our culture by surrendering to God's will. Verse one, it says, now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots to bring out, out one, one out of 10 to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of 10 remained in the other towns. Moving in was an act of faith, and sacrifice. And I, again, we, all, we just got to go back into the context of what we've been going through to, to understand this. Remember, they built the wall, but what did we hear earlier? That there's no houses in the city, not enough houses, and the people in it are few, and so the city is limping. The city is struggling, and so these people have to, are choosing to go back in, and to figure out who goes in, they casted Lots. That's how in that time you discern God's will for your life. You cast it a lot. It says, Proverbs 16, 33 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And verse two says, and the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. You got to think about this. You're like, why did they bless them? Why did they bless them? They, they blessed them because these people are going to have to leave what's familiar. They're going to have to sell their homes. Remember, they're settled. Again, you read the context. They're settled in the countryside. Every, they've got jobs. They're going to have to leave those. They've got friends. They're going to have to turn away from those people and say, yeah, we're still friends, but we got to go over here. And here's why they could do all this. Because what God preferred was secondary to what they desired. Did you hear what I said? 
What God preferred was secondary to what they desired. And sometimes we struggle to surrender to the will of God in our life because we have that order mixed up. God tells us something very clear, but it's like, I, we're like, I want what I want. And we, and we don't surrender. We refuse to walk in humility because we have the order mixed up. Here's the other thing. Sometimes we struggle to surrender to God's will because we forget that if God sends us a certain way, he's going to take care of us. That he's not gonna send you somewhere and leave you. And all you gotta do is read your Bible from beginning to end to see it over and over and over. That God says, yeah, go that way. It's gonna be really hard. This is what I want for you. But trust me, I'm gonna be with you all the way through. What is it? The Lord is my shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. That's what God says. That's what God promises. And so we surrender and we trust. And they do that. It, you see it in the text, they said, they willingly went. Oh, the, it's the, the lot landed on, it landed on me? Oh, that's what God wants for me? I'm going. They willingly surrender. And you're like, okay, Marv, you went in on that one. I'm willing, I'm willing to surrender. I'm in that spot. I'm willing to surrender to what God wants for me. But sometimes I have a real hard time figuring out God's will for me. How, how do I do that? Let me give you some ways. Intentionally fast and pray. Notice I didn't just say pray. Fast and stop something for a while. Take a week, take a month. And just I believe that as I take this step that God, you're gonna show me where you want. I know you got big decisions and big choices in your life. I know you do. You're living real lives. And so stop, fast, and pray. How about this? Read scripture and ask God to speak to you. Trust me. You got a decision to make and you open the text. God's gonna tell you. Because what did Wilson say last week? And he killed it last week with a sermon. He said, because God cares about us, he gives us direction in life. Read the word. Talk to me, God. Tell me where to go. Tell me what you want to do. I believe by faith you care enough. I believe by faith that you've given me this book and that is the way you guide us. Pick it up and say, speak God. And I'm not gonna leave until you say something. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stop reading until I hear from you. I'm just gonna keep going. Forget the Bible plan that says I should stop at chapter two. You got something for me over in chapter five, so I'm gonna keep going. Talk with your pastors, church members, and people who you know are for you. Sometimes we, are, we cannot discern the will of God because we're not talking to anybody. So, so somebody can say, oh, you're deciding to do that? Let me ask you a couple questions. What about this? What about that? Have you thought about this? If you make that decision, think about the worst case scenario. Could you live with that? If it didn't go exactly the way you planned, can you, can you stick through it? Do you have people to support you if there's a misstep somewhere? Oh, yeah. Talk. Next one, review your passions, goals, and interests. What are you into? What are, some of the, what are some of the goals for your life? What are some of the aims for your life? What are you passionate about? What do you care deeply about? Next one, last one, have faith that God cares and will give you direction in his wise timing. 
in his wise time. That one tells you, you got to be patient. We don't want to be people who run ahead of God. Just, just trust. God is going to speak to me. He's going to tell me what is necessary and needed because he cares for me. See, this thing here that I'm trying to tell you comes down to that. It comes down to faith. Do you believe that God cares about you and that God is intimately involved in your life? The people in chapter 11 could not, could not make this decision, this walk, without faith. Because I'm telling you, what they were going into was a mess. The wall was up, yes. But remember, there were like Bolton gates, there were still enemies floating around. And they had to believe, God is for me. Do you believe that? God is for me. They had to believe, God is with me. Do you believe that? They had to believe, God's going to take care of me. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes when you, when you go through all this, what God shows you might not be what you want to do. That's when it gets tough. Because sometimes like, yeah, I'm going to figure out God's will and he's going to tell me what I actually want to do. He's going he's to agree with me. He's going he's to go with my plan. God's like, nah. Because he sees what's up ahead. He sees what you can't see. The road you would take is not, always, is not the best one always for you. And God's like, yeah, that one looks like it's going to be super smooth, but trust me, it's not. And this one has some, you know, it's a little crooked, a little up and down. There's some days of crying. There's some days of frustration. There's some days of disappointment. But I'm, I'm in it with you, and I'm sanctifying you. And that's the goal. We lo- I'll just say it. I love easy. Right? I'll just preach to myself up here if nobody's going to say amen. I love easy. And I'm always like, what is the easiest road to take? So I can be comfortable. And God's like, you're not going to grow like that. You're not going to see who you really are like that. You're not going to be sanctified. You're not going to mature in the ways I want you to. And so we're going the hard way, Marv. Because I know what's best. And maybe he's saying that in your life. And trust me, it's better to surrender than to fight. Just lay down. What that one country, what did that one country singer say? Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> he has the wheel. We just need to surrender to that fact. All right, I've said enough on that. In chapter 12, in chapter 12, 1 to 43, I'm summarizing for you. You go home and read all the names. Nehemiah gives us the names of all the people who participated in the dedication of the wall. A wall that they said, if you remember in chapter 6, verse 16, that was completed with the help of our God. So they're like, this wall, this thing, this this beautiful thing that we have done, that we have built, it's all because of the work of God. And they gathered and they teach us that we stand out in our culture by thanking God openly. 
by giving God praise openly. Look at verse 27. It says, at the dedication, this is chapter 12, verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them up to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, thanksgiving, and with singing. Verse 31 it says, then they brought the leaders up to Judah, of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs, I like choirs, that gave thanks and went out to the south of the wall to the dung gate. Verse 38 says, the other choir of those who gathered gave thanks, went up to the north, and I followed them with half the people on the wall. Verse 40, so both, do you notice how many choirs are here? So both the choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, I and half the officials with me. They are worshiping God, giving openly too, giving thanks. And you gotta, they got to realize that this giving thanks, this worship was unified. You read it close, it says there were women, men, children, Levites, priests, all giving praise to God. It was joyful. Verse 27 says they did it with gladness and thanksgiving. This is not a boring worship service. They are lifting it up. It was also organized. It says in verse 42, the singers sang with Jezariah as their leader. Nothing wrong with having a worship leader in church, right, Cheon? That's where you say amen, brother. It was public. It was public. Verse 31 says the choirs were on top of the wall. Think of it. No lie, when I was reading this, I was like, I wonder if, how they got up. Were there ladders? Were they climbing? Because it was high. Were they boosting each other? Hey, let me get your leg up. Public. Also, it was loud. It was loud. Verse 43. The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Far away, they seen what God had done for them. They seen how far they had come. And so the worship is powerful, it's loud, it's beautiful, it's all together. Think about this. God brought them home from exile. Remember this. Again, just put ourselves in the context. Why would they sing? Why would they give thanks the way they have? He brought them home from exile. He used them to rebuild the wall. They started this project that looked impossible. And they did it in six months because God worked through them. He protected them from their enemies. Remember, people are trying to destroy them. Even There was all kinds of threats. He spoke to them through the scriptures. He forgave them of their sin. Remember when they were convicted and crying a couple messages ago? And they're like, calm down. Your sin has been covered. Go home. Be joyful. Go and eat. Drink wine. Celebrate together. They're like, you have been forgiven. They started. He started the process of revitalizing their city. That's where they're singing. People are moving back into Jerusalem. It's about to get beautiful again. It's about to look how it's supposed to look. He gathered them into a community to navigate life together. And I'm showing you all this because what God did for them, he is doing for you. What God had done for them, he is doing for you. Think about this. He is using you to build his church. Sometimes we forget that. That you are, you are actively participating in the work of God in 
the world. He protects us from the attacks of the enemy. Isn't Satan a roaring lion seeking someone to devour? Isn't God protecting you from that reality every single day? He speaks to us when we open the scriptures. He's forgiven us because of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. He has started the process of renewing this broken world. Things aren't going to be like this forever. He is sanctifying us through our ongoing obedience and church life. Ongoing obedience and church life. God is using all the messiness sometimes that can go on in here to make you like Jesus, to make you into the person you are meant to be. And here's this last one. He's going to bring you home from exile. Jesus says in John 14, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. Would I, sorry, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Exile is coming to an end. And do you know what you're going to do when you get home? Does anybody want to guess? Barbecues. Oh, there'll be barbecues. Sunny like this, you think we're close to barbecue season. I'll announce it when we're there. You know that. Church traditions. We're going to have barbecues. Yes. And we're going to worship. That's what you're going to do. You're going to do what these people are doing. You're going to give thanks. You're going to join the nations that God has rescued. And you're going to give God the praise he is due. Revelation 7, verse 9. Stand, I'm, stand while I read it. Sabrina, you guys can come if you want. Just like, just close your eyes and listen to this and think about, just kind of think about where and what you're going to be doing and how in a, in a true reality you get a chance now to, to practice. Just close your eyes, trust me, listen. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb who gave all for us. And the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, here it is, and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That is what you're going to do. That is where the world is headed. That is your and my reality. And that should give you hope every single day in the struggle, in the grind. That your sealed 
secured, your hope is locked in, that nothing can snatch you from the hand of God, that Jesus is holding you, that Jesus is preparing a beautiful place for you, that Jesus is coming to get you, that he's going to take you there, and there is going to be barbecues, and there is going to be joy unending. And you are going to give God the praise he is due. You are going to say, holy forever is our God. You're going to say, this is our God who is caring, who is patient, who is faithful, who comes. And yes, he tells me to do things that are difficult, but he has carried me through. He has held me. He promised that I was going to get home and I am home. And I am glorified. I am made like Jesus. I feel compelled week after week to speak into your soul and into your life the true realities of what God has done for you so that you will trust God, so that you will hold on to God, so that you will surrender to God who is good to you and will look after you, who will never fail you, so that you will worship God in the way that he is deserved because of what he has done for you, is doing in you and will do for you. Lift praise to God now. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.